Hey everyone, I'm Steve. And I'm Ryan. And welcome to the Keychains Podcast, where every creature is made up and their powers don't matter. Right, you are, Steve. So, Steve, uh, what was it, last Friday, a couple Fridays ago? It was last Friday. We did a little bit of, ste- uh, of, of steaming. We did a little bit of streaming. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I was there. Right. So, I mean, I guess... You- I guess it was my computer running it, but you were a participant. You were an active and semi-willing participant. Yeah, that was really weird, too, because I there was the temptation to look at the stream uh, <laughs> that was really strong, but I resisted. That's fair. I'm glad. I'm glad you managed to resist that temptation. The number of losses that I suffered at the end <laughs> would definitely lead to... Is that the more the more you lose, the more like the temptation grows? Like, I just want to win one. I'm just going to screen cheat a little bit. I just want to... Like, just, no. just for the next turn. <laughs> no, what, it, what actually ended up happening was I like popped out the, the chat so I could still read chat while we were playing without having to look at the stream but something would happen where i would need to like go to my browser tab that i had open and i'd be like oh nope gotta switch from that tab really quickly just so i don't see what's going on here (laughs) we played what like five six games i think so i think we played about an hour give or take i can't even remember what decks i played which is really sad yeah same here i do remember i no, that's not true i do remember some of them i played the determined pegasus of whitminster i definitely know i did that i played my my deck with epic quest in it and while i may not have won the game uh at all in any way shape or form i won the hearts and minds of our audience by successfully forging a key with epic quests (laughs) i think yeah i think that was the game i played that might have been the game that i played the the determined pegasus i can't remember might have been but that was fun so that was that was a cool friday uh it's something that we don't have scheduled but um periodically uh we'll throw an announcement out on twitter and uh, maybe we'll do some streaming. Maybe it'll just be one of us streaming, depending on the other's availability. We'll have to see. Kind of play it by ear and figure it out. Yeah, I think next time we do it, we should just grind. Like, pick one deck and just grind. Because I was thinking about that today, uh, that I was really interested in, like, just trying to play, like, one deck and just see how far I could, like, how many times I could win with it either consecutively or just how many wins I could get in a multiple playthrough where the, the opponent is a little more reliable. Yeah uh like, yeah, it, just like for me yeah just like for me like there's a lot of downtime in in the crucible yep well you've yeah you've got the variables too of like you know like their deck how seriously are they taking this um like, did they walk away from their computer are they totally drunk like what's <laughs> it's it's tough you don't know how good like <laughs> oh, i totally I crushed drunk. that guy and he's like it's not him it's just his kid that's like banging on the keyboard yeah uh so that that does help a little bit in that regard and we could even we could even potentially um some of the streams do like a co-pilot type of thing where one of us plays while the other person looks over the shoulder through a screen share and we both talk about plays and everything that's not a bad idea yeah i mean it would definitely be a cool way to uh showcase like thought process that'd be right right and having two people it's kind of like running commentary on your own games true but yeah so look forward to that in the future guys we'll uh we'll come up with a little more solidified streaming plans and put them out there aside from that uh i went to a different local gaming store um on a sunday and did a sealed with brian our friend friend of the show brian who we've spoken about at length and uh, and some other random people that i hadn't encountered before because i hadn't gone to that lgs for keyforge it was pretty cool the only downside was that it wasn't chain bound because they didn't have their gem software up and running it was it was kind of uh it was it was a little obvious with the other players that they were a little bit not not irritated or anything they weren't like it wasn't negative but they were just kind of like 
very mildly bummed that it wasn't a chain bound event. And when I mentioned that the normal shop, shop we go to on Tuesdays does chain bound events, they were very interested. So if you're an LGS and you happen to be listening to this podcast uh, and you don't have your gem software up and running, get it, get it going, fire it up. Uh, you'll you'll definitely be getting players because players, every time they participate in a chain round event, they're getting currency, in-game currency, so to speak, that they can use at prize walls if they ever get somewhere. Yeah. I mean, it's, it definitely seems to be a trend in our area. Yeah. I mean, every LGS we've talked to outside of the one that we've, we almost browbeat into installing <laughs> the software it doesn't, doesn't seem to have it. Yeah. And it does show a, um, a sort of a, a level of back and forth trust there where the players will be, will be showing their, maybe not trust, but um, they'll be putting the effort into coming to your store and participating in your events. But you have to give a little back from the other side where you have to put the effort in to get the software up and running, make sure that you've got prize support, you know, whenever you can, if, uh, if the Alliance distributor ever feels like sending out prize support and just make sure that, you know, that, that effort is coming from both sides uh, and the players will reward you if you reward them back. Right. Yeah. So we, uh, we didn't get a chain. So funny enough, we didn't get to fire off a chain bound event on our usual Tuesday night. We just did Archon uh, or sorry, just open play Archon. Um, but it was yeah, fun. Yeah, that was fun. But there were some yeah. new people too. So it was kind of like, it would have been a weird situation where these people would have been participating for a, uh, like, like potentially prize money and just getting their butts kicked. And you're in this awkward situation when you're playing with a new person where, like, okay, well, I know you're new and I know you really know what you're doing, but I, you know, I, there's money on the line. I kind of want to not help you, but that kind of feels like a jerk move. Um, so we just and, opted to do open play. And then it, it, we also kind of start late. So having a person in the kind of in the running that's, you know, maybe going to be a little slower, it's going to make those games drag on a little bit. They'll probably right. go to time more often. Yep. But I mean, it, even still, like we don't want to discourage people from no, from not playing, at all. But it was definitely not the environment on Tuesday to run another, yep. to run a chain bound event. It was still a blast. It's still, I mean, yeah. more than anything else, you don't. Have, so we just got done talking about how you really want to get your gem software and everything, and uh, now I'm sitting here thinking, you know, you don't even need it. It's fine. Just do open play. No, <laughs> you want both. You want you want to have that option. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, but uh, it was KeyForge can be enjoyed even if you don't get rewarded for playing. <laughs> crap i'm bringing it on my cruise with me yeah there you go <laughs> that's how that's how bad it is i mean i'm going with brian so right you know yeah i have somebody to play keyboard with on the boat so you're just playing solitaire i i mean hey uh, it might not be bad <laughs> uh, just the... it's like instead of instead of the numeric values instead of power yeah <laughs> yeah why not i have a one of shadows a two of shadows there's eight four of shadows in this thing <laughs> So we uh, we have a little bit of other news. Um, we, you and I, Steve, uh, we're going to be making a trip to a vault tour ourselves, aren't we? Yeah. We're going to Atlanta. With the friend of the podcast, Brian. He seems to come up a lot. He does. He's, you know what? He's like our unofficial third host that just, he's quiet. He's quiet in the background. <laughs> he kind of is. Yeah. <laughs> But no, uh, so looking forward to that. Atlanta is cool. We got our we had our flights booked. We got our accommodations booked. It's going to be really sweet. So if if you Did you buy a ticket yet? Oh, I got my yep, I got my yet? vault tour ticket. Right. Yep, right. tickets are bought. So I'm going to be we're going to be playing in the main event when we get our butts kicked and get kicked out of the main event. Actually, no, we don't want to leave the main event. I forgot you get way more ember shards for doing the main event, even if you're getting your butt kicked. Yep. Than you do for dropping out after like three losses and going to do side events. So I mean, it's it's also sealed. So the, right. the chances of us getting our butts kicked is probably not that bad, especially when you have the option of three decks. The three pillars of avoiding getting your butt kicked are 
player skill, deck quality, and uh, deck familiarity. So we have like a 33% chance because we've got deck quality as a possibility and the other two are just, you know, we can't count on that at all. But deck, yeah. we can keep our fingers crossed for like deck quality. <laughs> Someone has to win. I mean, it could be yeah. us. <laughs> I mean, we had a pretty good showing at that sealed event in yeah. uh, at Granite Game Summit. So. I, I feel like the field might be a little bigger this time around. <laughs> Maybe gonna, just a bit. We'll probably hit, uh, probably hit like, you know, dozens of people even. So yeah, we're looking forward to that. So if you are also going to Atlanta, if you're going to the Vault Tour uh, and you want to meet up with us, hit us up on Twitter at KeychainsPod uh, and let us know. And we'll set something up. Hook up with yeah. people and like, get some Keyforge going in a hotel lobby or something when the uh, event shuts down. Or we'll just jump into like, if we're, you know, we're out of the main event, we can just jump into side side games. Yeah. Like pods. There we go. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, I plan on bringing a couple of decks with me just in case uh, we get into side events and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm not going to bring any decks because I know I know that my uh, my main event deck is just going to be like, wow, it's going to be perfect. And it's going to play that and it's going to get reps in because I'm going to I'm going to need those reps for day two. <laughs> that's not a terrible that's not a terrible point, though. I Actually, mean, maybe... yeah, that is, you just get reps on that. No, I'm, I'm going to bring I'm going to bring other decks, too. I'm bringing other decks too. I'm gonna bring. I'm gonna bring probably like two or three of my favorite decks, and then uh, maybe yeah, maybe I'll bring like one. Yeah. Maybe I'll just bring one deck with me that I know I want to play. You say one, and then it's gonna be four. Day I'm of. just gonna bring that entire. It's <laughs> gonna bring the whole like quiver yeah. thing that you've got. Yeah. So that'll be a good time. Uh, so speaking of vault tours, this is like the um, uh, the the Christmas story because we just got done talking about uh, the vaults of future, uh, the ghosts of future vaults, and now we're gonna be talking about the ghosts of vaults of the past. Doesn't yeah, really work, does it? Yeah, I don't remember. No. I never read the Christmas story. I just saw them up at Christmas story at Christmas Carol. So I mean, arguably the better one, right? Yeah, no. I mean, Dickens, man, he got paid by the word, definitely. But Gonzo did not. No, not so much. He was he was more in it for the show. Um, so vault tours uh, that have recently occurred. We've got the uh, vault tour in Seattle at the Emerald City Comic Con. Is that what the C's yep. stand for, I believe. Uh, and then Eindhoven, which was in the Netherlands, I believe. Den- or was it? It's in the Netherlands, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So congratulations to Rachel Trimble for the first ever Vault Tour winner in Eindhoven, mostly based on time zone, but, you know, it still counts. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Yaro, and I didn't catch his last name. I tried looking it up and I could not find it, which is probably more a failing on my part than the Internet's part. Um, but Yaro uh, won the Seattle Sealed Vault Tour at ECCC. Nice. So congratulations to both of you. Uh, in the off chance that you happen to be listening. Congratulations. So did you happen to catch any of the, um, so it was, both of them were streamed. Uh, Cascade Games was the tournament organizer for Seattle. Uh, and they were just streaming with audio from the players themselves uh, with video capturing the table. And Eindhoven had video from the, the tables, but the audio was actually um, uh, Wazi, who's a, just a, another content creator. He was doing running commentary across the games. And so he recorded, he captured the VODs. He still has them on Twitch, uh, on his Twitch channel. You can catch him on his YouTube channel as well, which I guess, spoiler alert, he's going to be our, our content creator plug for this show. So we'll go more into how you can get to his stuff at the end. Well, we're going to be talking about him, so we might as well just spoil it now. Fine. Uh, so, <laughs> so you can catch uh, all that stuff yourself. So what? Uh, so do you did you get a chance to watch any of the, the VODs or anything? I didn't. Uh, no. It's been kind of a crazy week for me. So I'm getting ready to go on this vacation so I didn't really get the chance to sit down and watch that stuff. Your work is like volume related, so you have to kind of catch up ahead of time and make sure everything's squared away before you head out. So that is true. I can imagine things are a little bit hectic. Just a bit. 
Yeah, I did not have that problem. I do not have a forthcoming vacation or volume based work. So I was able to watch the VODs uh, and I caught a little bit of actually the uh, the the finals live. Um, so that was really cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was really neat. Um, and it was it was what just time was that when you were watching? It? I mean, it I guess was... it would have been early for us. Yeah, yeah it was it was mind. early. It was early in the morning for us. Well, not not like early, early. No, it was like yeah. a reasonable hour on the east coast here and it was really cool it was just cool to see like you know as someone that's watched a lot of magic the gathering tournaments gameplay that kind of stuff it was cool to see Keyforge, you know a new thing that i'm involved in that seems in its nascency it was cool to see that streaming of it and uh you know from across the world nice pretty well done nice so um we we grabbed a spreadsheet that the guys over at bouncing death quark had put together with links to the different deck lists so thank you bouncing death quark guys yeah we grabbed that and we're looking through so apparently this is the top 32 decks from seattle and eindhoven combined there's not really an easy way to split them up and to, to know which ones were Seattle, which ones were Eindhoven. But regardless, it still shows us some cool stuff. It still shows us some interesting trends. One of the things when I was looking at like the top 16 decks, there were like no, no there weren't really that many board wipes. Yeah, I mean, that is interesting. I, I mean, and this kind of goes into the, the next thing. I, do you think it was just like a lot of those decks that they chose was because it had a particular card in it that they felt like was going to be valuable for their, you know, kind of their pacing? So, yep. which is weird, too, that there isn't a lot of board wipes because Dis was in three or two the, out of the top three decks. Dis was in two of them. Right. From Eindhoven. Yeah. Yeah, at least for Mindhoven, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, the top four, 50% of them were dis. Yeah, so I mean, you'd, you'd expect to see maybe a gateway. I think there might have been a hand. I think in the in the top four, there wasn't a single board wipe. And in the top 16, uh, I was going through and looking at the deck list. I think there was maybe, I, I think I remember seeing two, maybe three board wipes, which was really weird. I mean, half of those maybe are from the sealed portion from Seattle. So yeah. that might explain why you didn't see board wipes. But then again... You know, if they opened up three decks, you think they might take a board wipe. But I mean, what is is that, is that telling us that board wipes aren't as valuable as other proactive cards? Because the Eindhoven ones, you know, you'd, you'd expect to see like a board wipe, right? So one quick correction. It's actually out of the top four, two of the decks were dis. dis and right. the top two de- decks did not have dis in it. Right. Um, but it could also be, it could be a tempo thing too, right? If you think about it, like... Like if you're playing a board wipe with no creatures on the board, you're t- you're off tempo already, right? In a way, right. I see where you're going. And then if you're playing a board wipe when you're have it have the situation where they have a ton of creatures in in, but you or they have like five creatures and maybe they're like two of those five are problems that you need to get rid of, and you have more creatures than them, you're already on a net loss. And then if it's the other way around, you know, you're set. You're still setting yourself back. Yeah. So do you think that people were favoring proactive cards that could be used no matter what the board state was compared to something like a gateway to dis where you you only want to use gateway to dis when you're kind of behind um, or if clearing the board will put you ahead or keep you ahead by using it? Um, It it feels bad to have a gateway to dis in your hand and have a bunch of creatures and then not want to use the gateway to dis, but like you're tempted to hang on to it because in case something happens, you want to be able to play it. So do you think people just opted out of the whole gateway to dis dilemma and went more along the lines of, look, if I don't have a board wipe, then I can just play 
not worrying about a, a board wipe, at least from my side of things. I don't have to play conservatively. I don't have to stay in the bag creatures for after my own board wipe and clog up my hand with them. Right. I mean, I haven't looked at all the deck, the deck lists, but, you know, I'm looking at uh, the second place deck from Einhoven, and I think really what it is is it could be just a, a situation of needing cards that remove problems as opposed to resetting the, the table. Yeah. Because if you look at like if you look at this deck, the deck is actually I'm not even gonna attempt to pronounce it. <laughs> but I'm looking at the shadows, you know, and it has a lights out, it has three nerve blasts, it has relentless whispers. You're probably going to end up spending more time using those to remove the the problems so you can keep racing as opposed to trying to blow up right trying to just reset the board so you can you know regain traction yeah i see where you're coming from like you you rely on your creatures to be removal plus you have spot removal so you don't really worry about wiping the board you just use your creatures to remove their creatures in a favorable way right and then if you're also looking into the idea of what we'll go into our next topic but like bait and switch and too much protect like at a certain point maybe you don't necessarily care how many creatures they have on the table because right. at some point that amber is just going to come to you anyway yeah i mean if they know that you have a bait and swiss or bait and swiss that's a delicious sandwich um mm. if they know you have a bait and switch or too much to protect or anything that's going to just lose them a ton of amber then they're not gonna over reap they're going to go right. to six maybe seven and then stop or maybe expect to like control out your creatures with their creatures right so they, they, you might put them in a position where even though they have, uh, I don't know, something ridiculous like seven creatures from the same house, they're not going to reap with all of them and put themselves at 12 ember and walk right into a bait and switch. They're going to reap with half of them and just get some themselves basic, uh, barely to their next key and not run that risk of getting themselves completely wiped out. Right. So I guess that, that kind of limits a, um, the need of a board wipe. Right. Maybe, maybe that was a strategy. I, I looked at some numbers, so I'm not wild about decorating systems uh, as far as the actual rating goes, but I, I look at the SAS uh, numbers to get an idea of, well, not even the SAS numbers, the uh, AERC, the ARC numbers to get an idea of where a deck's strengths and weaknesses kind of lie and one thing i i plugged the top 16 decks across both events into the decks of keyforge site to get an idea of their numbers and i i noticed a couple trends ember control the global average is like seven the ember control for all of these decks was 10 so a few notches up high the average global average for expected ember generation 19 and all the, the average for all of these decks was 23. The highest on here, the top two decks from Eindhoven were both 26. So that's well above, that's seven ember above the global average. Right. So you can kind of see that these are decks that they, they wanted to just generate a ton of ember and they wanted to, they, they focused more on generating ember and then their secondary focus was shutting down the opponent's ember. Right. They, they were about average on creature control, um, are a little bit of artifact control, uh, they have a deck manipulation stat, which is card drawing and everything. They were pretty high on that. The global average is five. And these, yeah, depending on the deck, uh, some of these, like the top two, um, were at 11 and eight. Uh, so that's a lot. Yeah. And then the average creature count was 19, which I think the uh, I think that jives with the global average as well. So they, they definitely skewed towards Ember control and expected Ember, and then were kind of average everywhere else. Right. 
uh, with the exception of you know having two time travelers in your deck. And I, I mean, I guess it just makes sense to to kind of go to this point too now. I mean, we've kind of already been talking about it a little bit, but like, yeah, bait and switch was in every deck pretty much. Yeah, it was it was in the vast majority. Of, well, shadows uh, was very very predominant in the in the tournament, yeah. which makes sense because if you're running shadows then you're probably going to be choosing a deck with bait and switch. Yeah. So does that mean that bait and switch is so strong that decks running it floated to the top? Or is it just that every deck is running shadows with bait and switch? Like you you run shadows and if you run shadows, you run bait and switch. We don't have the numbers and the stats to really say for sure. Right. I know that out of the top, the top 32, not every deck had shadows in it, but the vast majority did. Uh, and even within that, not every deck had bait and switch in it. Just a lot of them did. Yeah, I was listening to uh, Rachel's interview, guys, that I did listen to. Mm-hmm. And what she was talking about was definitely like, you know, that was uh, very, very helpful to her. But uh, the Sting, which is a car that I, I mean, it's clearly obvious that I'm just like, <laughs> maybe I just don't have the right mindset for this. But she used the Sting to get all the amber from all of the forging and then crack that, and then forge out of turn with key abduction. So I was like, oh, like, sense, yeah. okay, like, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Like, you have your own amber pool, then you get all the amber from the sting, yep. and then you just forge from key abduction. Like, that makes a ton of sense to me. Yeah, and that, that plays around that whole bait-and-switch problem, because if you're forging on your own turn and not giving your opponent a chance to react to your ember generation, then, you know, that, that bypasses that bait-and-switch situation. Yeah. So... It's it's interesting. I think we're going to learn a lot coming from these things. Yeah. The the one more point I wanted to make about um, bait and switch is like last time, uh, I think it was last episode or maybe an episode or, or two ago where we were talking about like rarity and how, to- like how sometimes just rarity doesn't matter. Like rarity just ends up being like, hey, this is just not something uh, that a house is particularly good at. But I realized something as I was talking about that is if you look at, because we were also talking about how, like, you know, neither we're, we're like, you know, bait and switch is fine. Too much protect is the one that you really want to be afraid of. And I think it was maybe a bit of like confirmation bias for us because I actually have quite a few decks with too much protect in it. I know you have a couple of decks with too much protect in it. So we were like seeing this card come up in our decks. And we're like, man, this is a really powerful ability. Don't understand why everybody's com- complaining about too much protect until I realized that too much protect is rare. Oh, that's a good point. Um, I will tell you that in going through the top 16, uh, I didn't note it anywhere in our uh, the, the show notes or the spreadsheet that I set up or anything. There was a lot of too much to protect in these. There okay. was just a lot of ways. So, so I take that back. Sorry, it's not rare. <laughs> it's actually uncommon. Oh, okay. And bait and switch was by far and away the biggest culprit for stealing Ember. Which is common. Right. And the but too much to protect was in maybe i want to say like a third of the decks that had shadow third to maybe half the decks that had shadow also or had either had it in addition to bait and switch or had it instead of bait and switch right very few decks did not have some method of draining a huge amount of ember from their opponent if need be most of the decks had some way to just capture and steal ember all the time there was one deck i think that had like two old brunos or three old brunos in it it was ridiculous so much they had that's right it was two old brunos and i think two charrettes it's actually kind of funny now i'm looking at the winner of seattle's deck and uh he did not have a gateway to uh gateway to heaven in his deck no that's right he had sanctum in it yeah and so it's like it's curious to see i mean granted this is a sealed event it's that was going to be a little bit different in terms of who came out on top but yeah uh, that is uh certainly an interesting yeah just thought process Bait and switch was was very highly represented. Um, oh yeah, as, you know we've said a few times at this point. I don't think it's overpowered. 
it's strong it's a good card it's a great card because unlike too much to protect it can hit them below six and slow them down or it can hit them over six and slow them down right but it's not it's not this demon that needs to be nerfed or errated or anything else you just need to play around it just you know do your ember correctly that that's if you watch some of the VODs, if you watch some of the, the stuff that Wazi put out, uh, there's people were not going up to 20 Ember and then getting frustrated because they got all half of it stolen by bait and switch. They were going yep. to like seven, eight Ember unless they knew their opponent either didn't have it or had already used it. And, and they were playing it that way. Yeah. So you just got to know what you're doing. Likewise, uh, speaking of boogeymen, um, one till uh, one turn kill decks were in the tournament and they did pretty well at first, but not a single one turn kill deck cracked the top 16. Yeah, I just think it's too it's too unreliable. It's too much chaos, yeah. really, to be competitive. Like it, it, it's magic Christmas land in right in a lot of ways. Well, and I think what happened, too, is that there was a lot of decks with a lot of disruption in terms of Ember control. And a lot of the decks were really, really fast. So just in terms of the, the you know their ability to get all that ember out. So I think that the one turn kill decks because they have to kind of dirtle and get their combo, they lost all these decks that were fast without needing a combo. Right. So by the time the one turn kill deck finally was getting close to putting its stuff together, it was too late. Yeah. Writing was already on the wall. So they're powerful but you just outrace them. And and sometimes they'll get lucky. They're not bad decks or anything. They're just, you know, so yeah, I guess the next thing that I think we we both kind of agreed on is don't put all your eggs in the the decorating basket, which is a thing that I like again, I have a tough time with the rating systems, so I'm predisposed to this <laughs> mentality, but yeah, the average SAS for the top 30 decks were 84. Yep. With the highest being 93, which was Rachel's deck, I believe. Mm-hmm. and the lowest was 74 so so if your deck is anywhere in that range then you're you know you're potentially in uh vault tour winning caliber yeah i mean i actually went through because you know honestly at times i'm curious and at, at a certain point i just need to give up my resistance to this whole thing <laughs> uh so i added my decks to a collection manager that kind of aggregated all of the scores and i i mean a majority of my decks do sit in between like i think my highest was 87 yeah and my lowest was like a 54 but a lot of them actually sat in between that 93 to 74 range same with me i i found that the sas ratings can kind of help me help guide me to which decks i should maybe pay attention to they help kind of narrow down the field of decks i should try to get 20 games in with or 10 games in with you know get an idea of of what decks are worth spending my time on because i mean i own 40 decks which isn't a ton but you passed me what's that i did oh that's right you bought a box box. yeah so if i if i were to play 10 games with each deck to try and like learn a deck which most people say 20 is really how you want to play it but even if i cut that in half and just did 10 that's 400 games and Maybe by game two, I might not like a deck, but you know, I'm I feel I'm stuck playing eight more games. The the SAS rating, or really any, I mean, I keep saying SAS, but any rating system, whatever one you want to use, it can help guide you to which decks to focus on first. And I I even like uh, it was the I think it's the what's it called the Toy Wiz Collection Manager. I want to yeah, that was the one that I was using. Yeah, I like that one because it shows a bunch of different ratings for each of the decks that you put into it. I think it even has its own rating system. So it was cool it because then it showed me. So I, I plugged all my decks in there and I looked at them and most of the decks that I had already been focusing on uh, that I thought were my best decks were in, in in a different order, but were always in the top decks of every rating system. So that was kind of cool to be able to see that side by side by side, like, 
that it was a little bit of validation that even if not one system is specifically 100% correct, they're all kind of hitting in the same areas um, and they have different yeah. strengths and weaknesses. So that was cool. And it also pointed out a couple decks that I hadn't really looked at that I went back to, looked at again and said, oh, okay, all right. Yeah, I, I can see where this might be a good deck. Maybe I'll have to give it a little bit of a shot. Yep, I, I felt the same way when I looked through some of mine. Like I had one that I actually went through and like I was tracking my personal wins with and it had like, uh, or actually it was two and two. So I was like, okay, uh, that seems fine. And but I looked at it and it was just like it's got a pretty high, you know, SAS. It's got a pretty, it's got an okay like ADHD rating, but its consistency rating is like plus uh, plus point six two, which I was like, it's really high. Okay, like that's actually much better. That's actually my highest consistent deck. But having like a lot more, like this was one of the decks I got very very early. Yeah. And now looking at it, I'm like, I like I'll probably bring this one on the cruise with me. Yeah. Because I know I have an opponent to just kind of grind out against. Well, I have two opponents, potentially three, if my wife decides to play. That's fair. But like, I can sit here and I can kind of grind through this deck and really get a good idea of what it can do. Yeah. So it was it was nice. It was reaffirming. Like I don't need to sit there and try to find a deck that has like a a crazy high score. I I probably have a deck that's at least there's a chance that I have a deck based on rating alone that could win a vault tour. Right. Maybe not with me using it, but at least in theory. <laughs> Fair. So the uh, house combinations. So we looked at the different house combinations that are in these top 30 decks. The most popular house combination was Dis Mars Shadow. Surprising nobody. <laughs> well, no, it, it surprised me a little bit because everyone's down has been down on Mars and, and only recently have people kind of come back up on it. Uh, I should say out of the 30 uh, decks, four of them had that specific combination. Yeah. And in Mars is just really strong. Actually, Rachel's deck had Mars in it and it really... Like it was a tutorial and how awesome Mars can be. It was just bonkers. Like, you know, I reap with this creature, which has this effect on this creature, which I use to affect this creature, which does this thing. And it's like this daisy chain of synergy that just goes off. And there's, there's, there's just like an art uh, to, to using a Mars deck correctly. And it was, it was really cool to see it in action. The most popular single house was shadows. It was in 90% of these uh 30 decks uh which is crazy like it's 90 percent. that's so good uh what that tells me is that ember control is really really important and the easiest the most obvious um but also still very very effective i mean it's, it's obvious because it's so effective is shadows at controlling ember uh so if you're if you're sitting down debating on when do you go to an archon tournament you're saying well i'm gonna bring a deck that generates a lot of ember that makes sense uh and i want to make sure that i can stop them from getting ember in case i have a slow start so one of my houses has to be shadows it's the first thing that, I, that pops into my mind when i think of you know sh ember control is shadows i don't even know what other houses would rival it in that regard yeah i think see i don't know like well, you've got, I mean, maybe maybe Sanctum, maybe Brobnar, but those are way more conditional than, maybe not Sanctum. Sanctum is a little less conditional, but Brobnar is very conditional for its Ember control. And Sanctum is a little more forgiving, but it's only capturing. You're not stealing anything. Brobnar isn't stealing anything either. So yeah, so I mean, I what I, I guess more what I'm saying is, is like, how much of this is just being perpetuated by how much people find shadows to be overpowered versus people just not willing to try things i guess 
I don't think there's any house that does it better than Shadows. You might have a deck that has a particular complement of cards that have better Ember control than Shadow, but that's the exception, not the rule. I think in general, you're going to have an easier time finding a deck with Shadows in it that has the caliber of Ember control that you would need for a Vault Tour or to win a Sealed. That's just what Shadows does. Yeah, we were just talking about Mars, though. And like, I don't know, like, I think, and granted, Mars is not necessarily great at stealing Amber, but their control is definitely incentivizing you to make bad decisions. Like, at least with uh, Shadows, right? There's no bad decision making there. It's just like, I'm stealing this. This is now mine. Done. Right? Right. But then you look at stuff like Ether Spider, you know, you've got grabber jammer you've got i'm trying to think of a couple of others there's like there's a couple of other good ones where it's just like oh like uh mind warper yep where you're putting it on their side of the board there's an action card that does the same thing like you know it's just like it seems to be that mars could effectively at least be a good runner up against shadows i i totally agree the problem with mars is that you need the the like the right creatures and the right compliments to those creatures for a Mars deck to be good. It's really tricky. Like you can't just slap Mars, like with shadows, you can kind of slap any batch of shadows, creatures together, shadows, cards together, and probably do a decent job with your Ember control with Mars. It's, it's like a, and like we're talking like, you know, like the, the Ford Model T engine is the shadows where it'll just run and it's fine. And it, it goes for miles versus Mars, which is like, you know, like a NASA rocket, like you need the right mixture of fuel and people doing all sorts of crazy engineering work to make sure that this thing takes off. But I mean, I also think if you look at the the winning deck, it had it had Mars in it. Yeah, no, I know. And uh, well, the, but it goes to show like Mars was not was not very represented. It was only in a third of the decks. I, I really still feel like a gold mine here is being looked over. Like ultimately what it means for me is that I want to play more Mars decks just yes. to see, just to prove my, like either prove my point or prove my, my point wrong. Like, you know, no, I like, think, I think that top end, like in, in, in the right configuration, Mars can be really good at Ember, uh, Ember control. The problem is that it's really, really hard. So since the, since the game is all about variation anyway, in, in terms of deck construction, it's really, really tricky to get the right complement of Mars cards to, enable that strategy it may be out there somewhere but the odds of you getting that combination are really low compared to shadows which is much much more common to get the configuration of cards needed to have a solid amount of ember control I mean, so fair. it's not that you know it's just shadows is more it's more common to get i mean hell bait and switch is a common so it's yep. literally more common <laughs> yep so i think that's why shadows is in that 90 percent because it's so easy to get the ember control you need to succeed in shadows i mean you can you know throw a rock and hit five shadows decks that have bait and switch in them and can shut down an opponent's day right after shadows so shadows was 90 percent. after shadows dis was 53 percent. untamed was 43 percent. uh logos and mars were each 33 percent. sanctum was 30 percent, and barabnar clocked in at a very very sad 17 percent. yeah i mean if there like I, well i try to fight against shadows being overpowered i as much and as much as i love to play decks of probnar in them i do feel like in the grand scheme of things uh at least with call uh call of the archons uh Bromnar is probably the weakest house um yeah 
I'm hoping that a lot of the changes that are coming in uh, Age of Ascension change that and, and kind of shift the power balance for Brobnar. But uh, I'm not uh, right now. Like I, I'm more than happy to admit that Brobnar is probably the least competitive house, but it is certainly the most fun to play. <laughs> for me, at least, it's one of my favorite houses to play. Yeah, I think it suffers from the fact that it needs to fight. Yeah. Where Shadows gets its strength, not necessarily from fighting, it gets it from reaping or actions and occasionally fighting or just having the card on the table like old Bruno. A Brobnar needs you to fight to be effective. And that's not always easy to do. That's not always the right play. So Brobnar kind of fails against itself to a degree. It, yeah. And it really, similar to Mars, you need the right complement of Brobnar cards to make that happen you know like i i can't tell you like i've, I've got like three or four brobnar decks that have a lot of cards that want me to fight with brobnar creatures and i have like three brobnar creatures like well great yeah. that's i can play loot the bodies and get one ember out of it nice though the deck that i have that has two gauntlets of command in it is pretty fun that's pretty sweet <laughs> that's a pretty good thing so the yeah. uh I, I mentioned that i um I like looking at the so SAS rating specifically that decks of Keyforge. Um, I'm not that worried about the SAS rating itself. I don't even really care that much about the ARC rating, the AERC rating. I care about the categories themselves. I like how he kind of comes up with the numbers for his ARC rating in each of those buckets. The A bucket, E bucket, R bucket, C bucket are, are really interesting. There, uh, if you're not aware, the A is for ember control so it's stealing capturing that kind of stuff the e is for your expected ember generation so basically how fast your deck generates ember r is for artifact control and then c is for creature control you know removing other creatures that sort of stuff yep so what i noticed in going through the top 16 decks and breaking them down i pulled each of them up on the decks of keyforge looked at each of their aerc buckets and the priorities were ember generation and then kind of Average, they, like they had a way above average ember generation, uh, about average creature control, slightly high on ember control, um, with at least one big swingy card like too much to protect or bait and switch, and then they had oh, they all had at least one way to deal with an artifact, even if it was just bouncing it. Right. So it was really interesting to kind of see that that breakdown. They also all averaged around 18 to 19 creatures, which I think 17, I don't know, uh, I might have misspoken earlier in the episode. I think 17 is the global average for creatures. Uh, I think when we were talking about, it might have been, it might have been the Bouncing Death Court guys, uh, but we were talking, I think in a previous episode, we were talking about like 18 to 19 was kind of like your sweet spot for. Right. That was for the, uh, for the Brad method that we uh, had talked about. Oh yeah, I guess that's fair. But anyway, 17, 17 to 19 is perfectly fine. Yeah. So the primary houses were pretty much everything except Sanctum and Brobnar. So, you know, Shadows, Dis, Untamed, Logos, Mars. They all trend towards smaller creatures. Uh, Mars has a couple big ones, but they're more exceptions. Untamed has a couple bigger ones. Dis has a couple five power creatures. But, you know, Logos, uh, Logos, I guess, is the same as Dis. But I mean, you're, you're looking at five being usually the highest power that you're typically going to see maybe a couple exceptions and the vast majority i think you're the average power of creatures in keyforge globally is four not including armor i think i'm betting that if you broke down every single creature in every single deck uh, out of these top 32 you would see an average power closer to three just based on the houses that everyone was using right. which is really really interesting because with power that low 
I would have expected things like ammonia clouds, uh, poison waves, stuff like that to have been really, really effective. And we still did not see any major board wipes in the uh, in the top houses, yeah. the top decks rather. Yeah, I guess. It, I mean, it, and again, like, I, like that would make sense, right? Like damage based board wipes are going to affect you the most, really. Yeah. Like, right. I mean, if you like if you were playing something where it was like save the pack and you could do something where you can damage your opponent's creatures without dealing your uh, dealing with your own and then playing save the pack to destroy everything. But if you really even think about it is like so many of those board wipe cards and in- introduce chains which slows you down even more. Like I, that's yeah. something I'd probably want to go look into is like how many cards were in the decks that at least the top 3 that had chains on the uh, that that provided chains. Like, Not a lot. I can't imagine they would. As I was going through, I remember I, I didn't track it, but I, I noticed that there's not a lot of chain generating cards in those decks. Um, I think you're right. I think that just speed and consistency, card drawing speed, consistency uh, is really, really like the name of the game. Ember yeah. generation, card draw, consistency, um, which makes having two time travelers in your winning deck really good because you can just churn through your deck over and over and over again, slapping the creatures down because that's that's the nice thing about card draw in a deck that has a lot of creatures is that you draw them you put them on the table and then they're stay they stay out of your discard pile they stay out of your deck so now you're drawing your non-creatures more often as your stuff stays on the table well did you see did you did you listen to her interview uh i I listened to a little bit of it uh i was at work so the Uh, it was a little tricky listening to the audio so so her trick was this because she's playing logos and shadows right what she would do is she would knowingly have what she would do is knowingly have help from future self in hand right then she'd play time traveler get her two cards keep going and then she got twin bolt emissions from the draw twin bolt emissions her own time traveler to then play help from future self again which gives her so she got an amber for playing the time traveler right kills the trap the the time traveler with the twin bolt emissions that goes to the discard pile then she plays help from future self to bring that back and then she just looped it that way yep and that's how she just kept she would just net cards over and over and over again yep i think she actually wild wormholed into the help from future self or maybe she, no she wild wormholed into the uh twin bullet missions nice yep i had a, i have a deck that has speed sigil and time traveler in it uh what i've been doing with that is i will have the speed sigil out i'll play time traveler uh, have him just attack into something to die and then play help from future self to yeah. immediately get him back. Yep. And that's, that makes it always sense. gives me a nice warm, fuzzy feeling. So, yeah. So what is this? So all of this, let's take all of this, all these results, all these tournaments, whether it's sealed, whether it's constructed, what does this teach us for the future? When we, when we're going to our vault tour in Atlanta, granted, we're going to be doing sealed, but you know, let's say we're playing Archon side events. What, what is our meta going to look like? What is the overall meta? What priorities are there going to be on things? You know, like given given that we know which were the most popular houses and likely why they're popular. Yeah, I mean, it at least makes us think about you know when we open those sealed decks, like what to be looking for. Right. I I don't I honestly I don't know. It really a lot of it depends on whether or not we end up opening Age of Ascension. Well, let's let's assume not because we can't. Obviously, we have. If we're going to assume Age of Ascension, we can just stop recording now. <laughs> it it does change quite a bit, right? Because if you think about it, if Age of Ascension comes out before atlanta that meta could shift or what we'll end up running into is we're going to end up running into the exact same meta thinking it's going to work in age of ascension yeah what i'm thinking is that people are going to be running 
they're still going to be running shadows. A lot of people take the, you know, you'll always have your your players that are trying to meta the meta, but I think a lot of people take the, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. People yeah. will go after the double time traveler decks. They're going to be focusing on shadows. So I think the question people need to be asking themselves is how do you beat shadows? How do you beat logos? And potentially not only how do you beat Mars, but people are going to focus on trying to understand Mars. Yeah. And then also dis. I think that between shadows, dis, uh, and, and Mars, I think, I think that Sanctum and Brobnar could hit their stride or untamed decks with bigger creatures because, or, or things that e that, that get around evasion because shadows, a big, big, big advantage for shadows is the, that evasion. Um, you can't crack into them. You need to take two creatures to deal with their one creature. Right. So stuff like ammonia clouds would work if you had like a Mars sanctum type deck, yep. uh, or even Mars Brobnar where you're like, I have six power. I can take three. It's not the end of the world. Right. And it'll wipe their entire board. So you could see that I could see more, I could see more decks focusing on being survivable compared to those houses. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I mean, I don't really know what cards specifically you would prioritize to deal with shadows. I mean, you you're stuck in this weird place where if you just go to six ember, they steal you down to five, and they just do that over and over again. If you go up to seven, eight ember, or nine ember to try and protect against little itty bitty stealing uh, or capturing, then they hit you with a bait and switch or too much to protect, and you lose a chunk of it. So you're in this like hosed if you do, hosed if you don't. I will say though, the one thing I will say, and granted, like this is me just mostly trying to look on the bright side of that, is that at least on a seven or eight amber bait and switch, your ability to recover from that is probably a lot easier. Yes. Than like, I mean, really, what it's it's stalling you a forge at the most, right? right? Like, because they're not gonna burn a bait and switch. It might as well be a miasma at that point, right? Sure. Uh, which is weirdly a card that I didn't you didn't see a whole lot, but I guess like a one turn stall is not as good as potentially really stalling somebody out. Right. I mean, I guess if you had to choose between miasma and bait and switch, you're gonna take bait and switch. So I think when people had that, yeah, like I, it, it comes back to my uh, my feelings on bait and switch is like bait and switch is really really good if you can follow it up with other steal effects, yeah. right? So if you steal out the eight using bait and switch and then you play two urchins like you're now up yeah or or you bait and switch so they they're at eight you're at zero you bait and switch them down to four you play an old bruno knock them down to one and then you play your urchin and steal that last one and now all of a sudden they went from eight to zero right like that's brutal and that's not even a hard combination of cards to come up with in shadows no it is not but but like that's my thing with bait and switch is like it needs to have a follow-up yeah because if you don't follow up and you, like say you know if if you had no amber and they had eight, yep, it becomes four and four, right? Yep. So cool, but now they just reap twice and they're back in the same position they were before. Yeah, you're right in that that idea that it's 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 like a stronger miasma. It's like a miasma and a half because it just stalled them yeah. for a turn and then they got back to it. And then on top of that, you burned your your most powerful. Right. You know, your most powerful steel card. Not for nothing, in this hypothetical situation, you did gain four ember off it. So it's not like True. you wasted it completely, but you're you're right that if you don't follow up with it, you need to you almost need like to deal like a killing blow to them, the coup de gras after you hit them with a bait and switch to just really, really crush that right that swing down because otherwise like you said yeah they'll recover you're only you're only tripping them up a little bit you're not making them fall flat on their face right and and now they know that that's gone right like yeah they they are affected not a ton and now they know that card's gone so now they can kind of go a little bit wild i mean and granted you might have like untamed or something that's gonna let you bring it back but sure but they'll know that too. It's like it's yeah. like being an anime character and busting out your super secret move and then not having a follow-up to finish off the villain 
you know, right. and he just comes so. back at you. And then you find out he wasn't even using his final form. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I think you're right. I think, I, I mean, as much as I want to be the contrarian here, like, I, I don't, I don't see when we go to Atlanta shadows being like when you get your three decks, like somewhat you're picking that shadows deck probably every time. Yeah. And I wonder how close, how much attention um, FFG is paying to shadows. I don't think it's overpowered. I don't think it's broken, but I could see them stepping it back in AOA if they're, uh, you know, if they're going to, they're going to reduce the amount of steel, maybe they'll do more capture instead of steel. Maybe it'll be some sort of temporary capture where you capture it for a turn and then they get it back again. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they make any changes to the frequency of Ember Control or the power of the Ember Control available to Shadows in AOA. If you if you want to maybe do crazy tinfoil hat mode, their key cheat being a little bit more cost effective might be a sign that they might be playing with less steel out there i would be very surprised to see shadows be as strong it's still going to keep its identity as being the premier ember control house but i think it's not going to be as dominant in that category and i think you'll see some of that ember control role shift to other houses especially with alpha and omega yeah that that alone can really because you think like if bait and switch had omega on it like that would be a whole different ballpark yeah, you'd have to do you'd have to play your turn differently. Yeah, completely differently. I mean, there is that one steel card in the set that has alpha and omega on it. Right. It'll be interesting to see what um, you know, I'm I'm really excited. It's going to be it's going to be really interesting. Yeah. So, I'm looking forward to it. So, so yeah. So, I think that wraps it up for us. Yeah. So, you want to we want to really just pimp out uh Wasi a little more here yeah. before we sign off. So, uh his name's Wasi. He likes games and you can catch him on uh YouTube where he he does these cool 10, 15 minute videos on, um, you know, different stuff about Keyforge, uh, like deck opening, stuff like that. Like I said, he has all of the old VODs from the Eindhoven thing, which is really cool to watch. He does a great job in those. He's from Australia, which is, you know, great as an American. There's one thing we love, it's accents. <laughs> so, you know, there's that going for him too, if nothing else. No, he, he does a great job in his stuff. So check him out. It's Wassy Plays on YouTube. That's W-O-S-S-Y Plays, like, you know, plays the drums. Or yep. plays games, I guess. Uh, yeah. He's at the Wassy on Twitter, spelled the same way, Wassy. And when he was streaming Eindhoven, I don't know how much other streaming he does outside of that. Uh, but if he is streaming, you'll catch him on PTCG Radio on Twitch. That's P-T-C-G Radio. I think it stands for Pokemon Trading Card Game radio so yeah that would make sense yeah. on twitch so check him out uh give him a follow yeah. throw a subscription uh whatever you got going on check his stuff out he's a good guy and he does good work yeah and for us you can follow us on facebook twitter send us an email uh or youtube and twitch at keychains pod for email it's keychains at gmail.com and on instagram you can find us at keychains podcast yep and uh i think that brings us to the end yeah so uh join me in wishing steve a good vacation next episode um i think i'm just gonna take little clips of steve agreeing and i'll just record the episode solo and just put little clips of steve agreeing with me throughout the episode so it'll be like he's here the whole time but he will be enjoying his vacation and i will be enjoying him agreeing with everything i say yeah i mean it's not hard to isolate (laughs) yep (laughs) yeah so i think it's gonna be great you guys won't notice a difference yeah all right well have a good one guys (laughs) take care guys